We'll take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians, 5th chapter, starting with the first verse. It is reported commonly that there is a fornic- fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he, had, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you, For I verily, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have judged already, as though I were present concerning him, and hath so done this deed. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan, that for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus." Your glory is not good. How now know ye not that a little leaven left in the whole lump? Purge out the whole old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is, sanct- for, is sanctified for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, but not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, I wrote to you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with fornicators of this world or with the covetous or the extortioners or or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company of any man that is called a brother, be a fornicator, or covetous, or idolater, or railer, or a drunkard, or extortioner, was such a one, no, not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without God judges, therefore put away from among you yourselves this wicked person. Let's pray together, please. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee for all Thy blessings You give us in Christ Jesus and Your everlasting mercies and Your kindness to us, how You called us out of darkness into Thy marvelous light and gave us those things needed, Father, for salvation and in all things that You magnified the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. By the Holy Spirit, we just pray that You would have mercy upon each one in the services, those without Christ. May you be pleased to save, and the saints that you be pleased to edify. We look to thee for thy mercies and grace, according to thy goodwill and pleasure. We pray these things in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. So many Christians today are puffed up over one thing or another and think themselves more merciful than God. It, it seems like in the last few months I've just been running around that uh, talk about what we do and what, uh, and really what they're saying is, is that we love more, we are more forgiving, we are everything better uh, than God. Uh, they believe that they were more compassionate and long-suffering and kinder than God. This is seen in the preaching of the gospel and church discipline. They do not understand. <coughs> that their lack of action is causing them to agree with the fornicator or uh, with the whatever sin that might be present and needs to be dealt with. They were not calling sin, sin. Instead, they substitute their own sense of right and wrong 
and uh, live and let live, if you will, was their kind of their motto. And what you do behind closed doors, none of our business. And and I've heard all these things since I've been in the ministry, and they're not really hurting anybody. So why should we do anything, you know? And they're good tithers or whatever else it might be that uh, uh, people will say about them. And yet, <clears throat> this is what uh, Paul is admonishing them for, that uh, they are bringing being a disgrace to the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> do you think indifference to sin is a good answer? Do you think uh, sin is the answer, lying to escape uh, consequences or stealing? This is a ungodly, if you will, mindset that many seem to have today. Many do not see the harm in homosexuals and pedophiles and and abortions. And we just go down the list of things. Well, that's their business, not our business. And, and again, it's kind of like live and let live. And, and when it comes to the world, that is true. Just as we read, but when it comes to the church, that's not true. Church is to practice discipline, and and if you will, that uh, we keep the church pure in the sense as as we can as sinners that are saved by grace. And we think about uh, the gospelers, the covetous, then we can go on with the other lists. Uh, and to God's question, can two walk together except to be agreed? There in Amos three three, the question was put to uh, the Northern Kingdom and. Verses 2 through 8, it speaks about the lion and the lion cub and the bird. That If there's not a trap for the bird, then you can't catch a bird. And if you have a trap, there's no use in uh, letting it <clears throat> open it unless you got to pray in it. And then it says, lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? <clears throat> and so can we have uh, evil and walk in evilness or wickedness and walk with God? And the answer is no. Two can't walk together except to be agreed. The ideal of being agreed is reconciled, be in agreement on things, and call sin, sin, righteousness, righteousness. And if you will, that we speak the same thing. And so that's uh, what it is to walk together. The puffed up care neither for his church nor the saints. The prideness and pridefulness and conceit and puffed up was another symptom of carnality that they had in the Corinthian church. And, and they was uh, as if, you know, they were superior or above all. And this was not just one per- person in the church. This is the general demeanor of the church at Corinth. Their silence spoke volumes about the, <clears throat> the incestive sin uh, and uh, their fellow brother in Christ. Uh, the sin was not a small matter for the church uh, and the erring member. We can imagine what the people around Corinth were saying. He, and Paul said, this is not even named among the Gentiles. Not even Gentiles do this. And so we could understand what an what a, a, a example they were setting in their Corinthian community. One, as we mentioned several times, one of the wickedest uh, towns in the Roman Empire, and it was maybe not the wickedest, but it was one of them. And they had the name that if a place was very wicked, they said they'd been Corinthicized. And so uh, they were a very wicked people, and yet this is a sin they wouldn't even do. 
and and yet the church didn't do anything about it, if you will. And the, this was a grievous sin in the Old Testament. It was worthy of death. In Leviticus 18.18 and Deuteronomy 22.22. And also was against Roman law. And so we could just go on and on how wicked this thing really is. But the point is the church wasn't doing anything. <clears throat> and and uh, Paul says, well, turn this man over to Satan that his flesh would be destroyed and his, and his spirit saved. And we don't know all about that. We're not going in that today. I only mentioned that's what he told him to do, the rule of thumb. <clears throat> if you will, if it's worth uh, killing somebody for, if it's worth a death penalty in the Old Testament, it is surely bad enough to be disciplined from the church. And and we look at all those things, all those sensual sins that they would be stoned to death and different methods they would be eliminated from the uh, from Israel. That is, they put away the sin from them, and this is the way they did that. Part of the proving by the Holy Spirit is through the church to correct erring members. This is one of the first steps, if you will, of someone being corrected is that the church says this is, you know, you, you can't do this and be a part of this church. Some never darken the door of any church any time. That just shows what they were uh, when they pretended to be saints. They just were not. Others will repent after a time and come back in and usually make superior members than what they were before. The relationship in the church is love and endurance and, if you will, to the groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the church is the bride of Christ. And, I, and if we would take that in consideration sometime, that <clears throat> would you want your bride uh, doing things that, like this man that was uh, living with his father's uh, wife, and, and uh, we would think, well, no, we wouldn't want to have anything to do with that. Well, why would the church have anything to do with that? And so this is uh, one of the ways, remember, that this is the bride of Christ and, and that in being a bride uh, of Christ, then there's certain things that we should be uh, more particular about than maybe others. The relationship in the church and uh, <clears throat> speaking of unfaithful bride, then James 4, 4, ye adulterers and adulteresses, Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. <clears throat> and I always think this point about being a friend to the world, and I, can't, uh, I, I, I guess it's good that I don't remember much of it. It's talking about in the house being a friend of the world, but we are, if you're friends with Jesus, then you won't be a friend of the world. And the way you know that is, is they hate Christ, say all kinds of wicked things about them, you can't be friends with them. It's like someone saying, well, your wife is no good and just giving you around the road because she's such a bad person and so on and so forth. And if you love your wife, you won't be friends with them. I mean, that's just the way it is. And, and we have to remember again about being related to Christ. The bride is to keep herself pure. Second Corinthians 11, 2, for I am... Jealous over thee, you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you and you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And so, again, it's be, they, we are to be, uh, if you will, he says, uh, 
am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, jealousy, and espoused them to one husband, and that she be a chaste virgin to Jesus Christ. That would mean not bringing in anything else in competition to Jesus Christ. And if we say, well, what do you mean bringing in other things? Well, most churches wouldn't bring an idol down and say we're going to start worshiping this thing. But they do that inadvertently when they put themselves above Christ. They're saying their ideals are better than God's Word and that they, uh, what they say is more important than what Jesus says. And, and so in a sense, if you will, we're not uh, uh, working as a chaste virgin. We're actually working counterwise to the Lord Jesus Christ. Even as Brother Glenn brought out the different methods people use to get converts. And that, you might not call it idolatry, but it's sure not chaste. It is not being righteous and, if you will, glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Puffness will cause a collapse into other sins than in the body knowing that a little leaven leavened the whole lump. And and this is the way it is. You let this sin go. uh, There was a church where... It was a convention church, and and uh, I got called in by the associational missionary, and and there was a couple in the church that they was two lesbians married together, married to each each other, and, and they said, well, they're not really doing any harm, and I thought to myself, are are we a church of Jesus Christ or not? And so he says, well, brothers, and now. Brother Kelly, before you start practicing any discipline over there, so that church hadn't had discipline for uh, 30 or 40 years or something like that. And he said, if you do this now, said next thing you know, everybody's going to be disciplining everybody in the church. And so he is discouraged. He said, maybe they'll just leave. Maybe they'll just move or whatever. And the deacons agreed with the associational missionary. No, we, you know, we, you know they seem like good people. You know, it's just and I, I said, I said, you people have to be crazy. I mean, we sitting around there, all the deacons sitting there, and they, and one of them had known about it beforehand, and all this, that, and the other. And so, make a long story short, that's when I uh, went into the independent work at that time, and, and one of them tried to join the church that or the new mission, and and they was a lesbian, and this. When, when it's scripture says a little leaven had leavened the whole lump, when you permit sins, the, you just get more of it. And then not only that kind of sin, you get more of other kinds of sins that will come in and accompany itself with them. There'll be a lot of times of like nature, uh, the sins will be, but nonetheless they'll come in and infiltrate the church. And the uh, thing that uh, I had people calling up. Uh, <coughs> Uh, judge not least you be judged, and and uh, and the point was that I should let these little children—that's what they call them, little children—that uh, they would, uh, you know, they really wasn't hurting anybody. And this is exactly what was at the church at Corinth. They was puffed up, and a little leaven does leaven the whole lump. Cast out the old leaven in First Corinthians and the five eight of our passage. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven neither with leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so, and the, the point that we see here is that 
it speaks of the unleavened bread of the Old Testament, and it's speaking of leaven as being wickedness and sin. And, and so we are to cast out the old leaven, do away with it like they did in the Passover and different feast days. They would clean their house of all leaven. And that's what he's speaking about here. Get all the leaven out of the church. Dismiss it. Do away with it. And if you will, build it back with unleavened bread. And, and the, uh, as it speaks of there, the leaven of malice and wickedness and, and with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so this is what the church is to be, one of the two of the things the church is to be built on is sincerity, that we're sincere in our worship and service to God and in truth. Not our truth, but God's truth. And they, Proverbs 16, 8 says, Pride goeth before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And this has destroyed many churches, this sense of pride. I knew a, a pastor not too far from us that uh, practiced uh, discipline and did destroy the church. They hadn't practiced it for 45 years. And it was a convention church. And it literally, it just what the association missionary told me it would happen there. And it might have, but I think they showed it really wasn't the church there. A church in a relationship can never be built upon pride. It, it, that type of building would be destroyed. <clears throat> yes, how are the mighty fallen? The haughty spirit will always end in a fall. In Ecclesiastes 7 8, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. You know, that's one of my face, favorite verses out of Ecclesiastes because I use it so often. But the end of the thing is better than the beginning because the end shows what it is. And then it says, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. And so to be patient and be patient as the Scriptures tells us to be patient in Almighty God in the things of God and that we wait for Him as the Scripture tells us to is a lot better than being lifted up in pride and, and as if we know what the mind of God is and uh, anything and everything. Some people, they say, well, I know that God has to do this way or that way or this, that, and the other. I think this is the right thing to do. And even if it's contrary to Scripture sometime, they will say such things. If those you care for, uh, you want the best for them. I mean, if you uh, care for people, then you want the best, not the worst. They're in First Peter in First Peter four seven, <clears throat> but the end of all uh, end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober, sober, and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins sins, and use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so this is one of the things that the church is to have, if you will, been to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God and that we be those that not be lifted up in pride but have fervent charity uh, that we desire the best, not the worst, for the others. 
what are the best for this this member, which was uh, in this incestuous affair in Acts 26.20, but show first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and, and, and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do the works meet for repentance. And when you condone somebody's sin, they're less likely to repent. If somebody will walk down the aisle and say, well, I'm in this, uh, I'm living with my dad's wife, they say, well, don't worry about that. I mean, that's what the church was doing. They said, ah, don't bother about that. That's, that's no big deal. As long as you believe in Jesus, that's all that counts. And that's not what all counts. And so uh, the best thing for them, that they would repent, that the best thing for them, that they would go through, if you will, as he says, turn them over to Satan, that the flesh be destroyed, it would better destroy the flesh and have life in Christ than, if you will, not so and die and perish in hell. The best of the, for the spiritual well-being is to repent. Ephesians 4.17, This I say and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth not walk as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of your mind. In their mind, of their mind. The empty mind is the devil's pray, playground and those that are looking for something new is also a good playground and if the life uh, of the saint is filled with failures and triumphs, we, in failures we repent and in, if you will, triumphs we praise God. The tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. We can also say the tender mercies of the hypocrite the high-minded or cruel or carnal Christian, pretender, Christian mimic, Christians that mimic the wicked, and we could go on and on and on about those, the, the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. And they, uh, we have an example in America. Just about every pervert of any kind is protected by some law or another. And this is, uh, if you will, it shows the mercy of our country, our our uh, of our legislators, of our leaders, uh, that this would be their mercy. They said, well, we, we don't want to pick on these people. We just let them ride, you know. And, and uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, they got so bad, God had to destroy it. And several times we find in the Old Testament they had to purge the country, that is Israel, of the Sodomites that had, uh, had if you will, gain in power. And, and then we have Levi there, and his sons, and then they had uh, men homosexuals at the door of the of the temple, as part of you know that had prostitutes of all kinds out there. That is, if they wanted to go to temple, they could. If they didn't, they just stay there. It was, if you will, such a wicked time that Levi Levi had allowed uh, Eli, excuse me, had allowed to take place as he in that congregation. And so it destroyed them instead of building them up. And they uh, thought they could win the victory by taking the ark with them. And you remember the ark was captured. And then when brought back, it says 50,000 of them died for looking in the box, if you will, looking in to see what was in the ark of the covenant, which they only the high priest was supposed to look into. And so they, there was a grave consequence to their wickedness. Proverbs 12.10, a righteous man regards the life of his beast and the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. <clears throat> and 
we think about uh, some cruel mercies, and I mentioned before abortion, fornication, different lifestyle, eliminating food, sto- food store- sources. Can't eat that meat. And, and when Antichrist comes on, you know, he's going to forbid that. We're just working our way up to that. And we probably, I don't know if you do, but I have kin folks that they wouldn't eat meat. Uh, this one cousin, <coughs> niece, excuse me, and she thinks that <coughs> that <coughs> uh, first it was she didn't eat any ugly animals. And then she just wouldn't eat any animals because <coughs> and she, she professes to be a Christian, but nonetheless that she don't eat any because we're kin. And I thought, where in the Bible do we get this that we're kin? And, and this food sources, if you will, is God's given it to us for food. And, and uh, if it's uh, anything that God's given us for food, First Timothy 4, 4 and 5, anything God's given us to us for food, we're to accept it. We're not to reject and what God's given. We're received with thanksgiving, if you will, and praising God and, and is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. And so we can eat anything. Uh, by the way, anything that's not uh, sanctified by the word of God in prayer is not sanctified food. <clears throat> Somebody says, well, it don't make any difference. You pray, you know, and all this. It does make a difference. It's the difference between eating something sanctified and something not sanctified. And it is about as simple as that. First, uh, First Corinthians 5, a church was puffed up against God, accepting wicked man's ideals of what right and wrong with or what acceptable conduct was for in the church opposing the Lord Jesus Christ. All of it is not as dramatic as this is in this passage, but... It's the same idea with all wickedness that the church permits. There won't be too many days that many that call themselves churches will have something in the corner. <clears throat> and, and they'll be putting things under it, knowing it, and, and, and walking by it. And uh, the worst that I've ever seen was <clears throat> kids walking up to it and, and saying, Oh, Christmas tree. And if you're familiar with the German song, it is a worship of the tree. I mean, it's worship of the tree as a God and not just, uh, you know, praising God for something. It is actually worshiping the tree as, as God. And, and they do that in the church. And I thought, how could you do this in a church? You know, it's bad enough people do it in their homes, but they do it in a church. And I thought, how wicked uh, can a church get? And, 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 and most of the members didn't even know what the song meant. I mean, it's just, oh, it is such a beautiful song. Our children sing it and so on and so forth. And it's like the ideal to help others. And, and uh, if you will, if we really want to help others, then we point out those things that are wicked. Second Thessalonians 3.10 through 12. Second Thessalonians 3.10. For even when we were with you, <clears throat> this we command you, that if any would not work, neither should, be, should he eat. For we hear that there are some walking among you this, uh, disorderly, walking, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command, command 
and exhort by the Lord Jesus Christ and that with a quietness they work and eat with their own bread, but brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And so we find that they were taking care of the widows and the orphans, and this is one of the things that the early church did, and that's the conflict in the book of Acts. I believe, uh, can't remember which chapter now, but where we, we think it's the first uh, organization of the deacons is because the served tables, because there was the, uh, between the uh, Jews and the Hellenists that they felt like that the uh, one group was not being taken care of as well as the Jews was. And so there was the division in the early church about that. So they set, set aside certain men to take care of that. And, and so uh, the point of this one is, is that they were to, if they were to, if they eat, they were to work. <clears throat> and uh, this is almost foreign, absolutely foreign to all, uh, if you will, soup kitchens and everything else. It just, and, and, and the Christian organization, but this is one thing that's foreign to them. Then in 3.13, the same chapter, but ye, brethren, be not wearing well-doing. If anybody obey not our word by the epistle, note that man have no company with him, that he might be ashamed, yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always and all means, and the Lord be with you all. And so this is talking about shunning, and this is something that's very seldom ever practiced in any church, but that's what it is speaking of. We notice that the discipline was to be corrective, not destructive or cruel, uh, and our concern, uh, those with those, that uh, how we practice charity, what is God's policy, not what man's policy is. There's some that can't, and, and just absolutely can't. If you get an illness, sickness, disease, broken body, or whatever, it's not talking about that. It's talking about those that are well able but do not. In Galatians 6.10, as we have therefore opportunity, let's do good unto all men, especially unto them of the household of faith. Sin destroys. What does sin bring? Death. And the first parent's sin uh, brings a guilty conscience, if you will. And I was thinking as the brother was talking about uh, Paul, uh, one place he said he did all in good conscience. You say, how could you in good conscience persecute the church? Well, he thought he was working for God. I mean, there's a lot of people that do things and think they are actually doing God's will, and that was Paul in doing that. I thought to myself, how many times do, uh, and, and, and this is thinking on it before, how many times could we say that everything I did, I did in good conscience? Whether before I saved or after I saved, could we say that? And I believe Paul meant it. I think he, he, when he was persecuting the church, he thought that was the will of God, and he was all in. And when the Lord met him on the road to Damascus, then he was all in uh, to following Christ. And so uh, we are not to have a guilty conscience. We're not to try to escape by lying and so on and so forth, which in our country seems like a norm instead of an ad norm. Often we do not see the correlation between sin and the consequences of sin. Ezekiel 18.20, A, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Now, 
Of course, that's talking about destruction. <clears throat> and if you will, the, the, it destroys relationship, causes war, death, famines, and we can go on and on what sins cause. It's destructive. It is the most destructive thing in the world. <clears throat> Not only in the, in the view of, of God, it is, the, it is the most destructive in the world. I mean, we took all the World War One. well, this happened, you go back, well, this happened, this happened, you know, and somebody didn't kill the king over here in some no-name country, next thing you know, we're all at war. <clears throat> and that's just the way sin is. It's pride, as if you will, is one of the things that brought that forth, and alliances brought it forth in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperate wicked, who can know it? And it is that we deceive ourselves and, and do not recognize uh, what God, if you will, in His Word has for us. We don't recognize true righteousness. And, and, and I'm talking about in those that compromise it, is they, they say, well, I don't, I don't think God would, you know, hate you for this. Or I don't think God would, you know, send you to hell for this. And you may have never heard that before. I heard it most of my life. Somebody do well, I don't think God would send them to hell for that. That just don't seem bad enough. You know, if it were possible. Now, what I'm getting ready to say is impossible. If a person only committed one sin, he told one white line his whole life, he'd be worthy of death and hell. But there's no person like that. <laughs> there's, they come forth speaking lies, the Scripture says, and... If you will, you can see the uh, children learn to lie early. They'll pretend like they're hungry or need to be something. All they want to be is picked up and patted, you know, and you pick them up, pat them a little bit, and, and they do a lot better. But then if you lay them down, they, all of a sudden they got this pain or something they need to scream and holler about. And so children learn at an early, early age to be deceptive. They know how to giggle and how to do their face to get your attention, and, and it gets worse from then on. In Psalm 73, 22, So foolish was I, and ignorant I, I was as a beast before thee. And we think about as God's created all things and, and Lord himself, if you will, to become a, a human being on the face of the earth and let, left his glory in heaven that he might come down, if you will. And one of the purpose of that was, yes, to save sinners, the and those in the Old Testament that were waiting, if you will, for that uh, blessed event, and those, if you will, that would be saved. And, and, and so Christ came to save all. But he also came to make a bride. And it is the Father that chose the bride, if you will, and it is Christ that died for the bride, and the Holy Spirit is one that infiltrates or fills uh, the, and the bride of Christ. And so therefore, if you will, when we think about uh, Jesus and his bride, that's one of the purposes he came for. Not only to save sinners of the Old Testament, not only save sinners of the New Testament, but to <clears throat> the perfect bride that could stand before Almighty God blameless, as it speaks of in the Scripture. We have the eternal consequence of sin, the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And this is... Uh, if you will, whatever one of faith that's not in Christ Jesus, and and some will get on, you know, about this doesn't seem fair, or right? And I thought to myself, I think to myself when people say that, I, God didn't ask you what's fair. Yep. 
He didn't ask you where it's right. He just said, this is the way it is. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saved. You're going to heaven. You don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll perish in your own sins. You say, well, you mean the only difference by believing in Christ? The one is that all are sinners. Everybody deserves hell. There's not one person in this room that does not deserve hell for their sins. Not one. If Jesus hadn't come, that would have been the end result. And the angels that fail have no other thing that can happen. They, they, they sin against God. They're condemned and doomed forever. There's no, there is no redemption for them. There's no uh, 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 act of faith or anything else they can do uh, to cause them to escape that. Only, if you will, mankind has that privilege that Jesus Christ came and delivered us from our sins. And there in Revelation 20.10, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. 14.15, And the death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And then 21.8, But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So hell is sure. It is not something that it just put in to scare children. It is not something that just say, well, trying to scare them into heaven. And I've even heard preachers say, well, I don't trust anybody if they just believe in Jesus escape hell. And I've known several people that when God <laughs> presented them uh, with the consequences of their sin, that they did repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and live good, Christian, productive lives. The point I'm making is just like the <clears throat> fire, I mean the light that met Paul on the Damascus Road, there's other methods and means that God uses to get the attention of his people. And he does it real well. Because there will not be one missing in glory. Not one. Why does God do all these things in these different ways? We don't know. We can say, well, God just, you know, just tap you on the head and that'd be sufficient. But that's not the way it works at all. Some struggle and struggle and struggle and and some have told me they've struggled for years with it. And then others, you know, they, somebody <coughs> witnessed to them the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first time they'd ever heard the witness and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and was saved. So, <coughs> I can't figure out exactly how God does it. I mean, the Scripture tells us, but there's nothing you could say this is the exact way it has to happen. The only true thing about the Gospel is you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the true thing. But on the other side of that, you must know you're a sinner. And the problem in the Corinth, they didn't know what sin was. And that's the reason it says turn them over to Satan, just as Paul had turned those two men over to Satan, as we mentioned last time. We find in verse 11, I have written unto you not to keep company with any man that is called a brother, 
be a fornicator or covetous or idolater or railer or drunkard or extortioner with such a one do not <clears throat> know not to eat. Now I wonder how many obey that. Now sometimes it's hard to have family reunion <clears throat> and you got those that call themselves Christians that are living according to what it says, know not to keep company with. So what do you do? Then at some time you might be a company picnic. We just go on and on and on with the different scenarios that could be. <clears throat> it doesn't give an exception rule in this passage. It doesn't say, do this this way if it's convenient. It was convenient for them not to discipline this man. That was their convenience. It was not only that sin, if they'd let that sin pass, we know that they were letting a multitude of things take on a place in that church. And we see in 1 Corinthians 6 chapter, you know, there's people going into prostitutes and things. So we know that church had lots of problems. <clears throat> but the point I'm making is, is that God didn't put any loopholes, exception clauses, or anything else. He says that they are doing these things, know not to eat. Now, with the people of the world, then it's different because you'd have to get out of the world not to eat with sinners. <clears throat> but we are to make a point, if you will, that the person, by being shunned or whatever you want to call it, that they'll repent and get right with God. Just like this man was a fornicator, the best thing could happen to him, the church says, this is wrong. And if he is a saint of God, then he'll turn from it. This is one of God's disciplinary actions he takes on the sinners is that the church practice good and decent, uh, if you will, discipline. And do you think indifference to sin is a good answer? Do you think that the answer to the sins is live and let live? Do you think it's all right for ungodliness to go on in the church and wickedness and all these things and say, well, we'd have more members? And there's a lot of churches that do not practice discipline has a lot of members. And sometimes, you know, preachers ask not to preach on certain things. Why would they ask a preacher not to preach the whole council of God? Well, we don't make people feel bad that comes to church here. And we don't make some of the members feel bad, especially old brother so-and-so. Now, he gives a lot of tithes and he does a lot of work in the church. You know, we don't want to offend him. And he just goes on and on and on. You say, well, churches actually do that? They, yes, they do. <clears throat> the lying to escape consequences are still in the ungodly mindset. We think about members of the Corinthian church thought it was and the, this way, uh, this carnality, which, if you will, it wasn't bad if it took over. And by the way, the little eleven, eleven, the whole lump, it is absolutely true. You can follow any church and they quit discipline, and you'll see what ends up in the church. <clears throat> and then we think about, uh, for they could be to not see any harm. This fornicator, <clears throat> if you will, and. Man's only hope is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, repent and agree with God that sin is sin. <clears throat> Obey Him, follow the Lord Jesus Christ in everything. Their problem was that they thought they was more holier than God. 
or, if you will, more compassionate than God. And sometimes people say, well, I don't see what... I know the Bible says that, but I don't see why we should do that. <clears throat> why did God give us His Word for anyway? Is it kind of a guideline, you know, kind of a, you know, well, that's, that looks pretty good, but <clears throat> we'll, we'll change this because it don't fit our lifestyle. And so we just take this out and put this. That's not what this book is for. This is for instruction in righteousness. And we're not to deviate.